Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Jesus is our wonderful, merciful Savior. And we get to gather together this morning and lift up his name. Oh, that song reminds me of my very first Easter many years ago. And uh, sitting there in the little west end of Edmonton Church that I was at as a new believer, bawling my eyes up, (laughs) just thinking about all that Jesus has done for me. You know, he, he, he did that for me. He was accused instead of me. He was punished instead of me. And now because he came out of the grave alive, he can live in me and be alive in me. And so it's our hope and our prayer that we will we'll be able to, to really personalize this Easter Sunday just like that. Jesus did this for me, for you, for us. So glad you're here and we get to do this together. Friends and family, invited guests, we're so happy to have you with us today. I'm Garth Lino. I'm the senior pastor of our church and it's just a real privilege uh, to be here with you today. If you have a Bible or Bible app on your phone, please uh, open that up now to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels, the Jesus books. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 28 today. And if, if you have neither a Bible or a Bible app, we got you covered. The verses that we're going to read today are, will appear on the screens on either side of the stage. So you can easy, easily follow along if you don't have a Bible with you today. Matthew chapter 28, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Jesus had been uh, crucified on the cross on Friday, uh, laid in an empty Tomb, and now the Sabbath is over. It says in verse 1 Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, The guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the women were not sure what to expect when they got to the tomb. They just weren't sure what they were going to see. Everything was up in the air. They had really no idea how things were going to turn out. Jesus had been crucified on Friday. He was laid in an empty tomb. And as far as they knew, the Savior was dead. 
The Messiah was dead, and there he lay in this tomb. Their future. They could only guess what was going to happen. We know they were worried about the heavy stone that was rolled in front of the empty tomb, or in front of the tomb where Jesus lay. And we know that they were not sure how to move it, should they move it, could they move it. We think that they probably worried about the hard-hearted Roman guards who were guarding the tomb all that night, probably grumpy early in the morning. What is certain, though, is that the women who came to the tomb that morning were not expecting a resurrection. They were not expecting a miracle. Did you see where it says in verse 1, we read that a moment ago, that they came to see the tomb, Matthew 28, verse 1, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went to see the tomb. Another translation says that they went to look at the tomb. Yet another says they went to view the tomb. So it's a bit like us going to the cemetery to lay flowers on a grave and to make sure that the groundskeeper is doing his job around your loved one's gravesite. They weren't sure what to expect, but they absolutely did not expect to find an empty tomb. They absolutely did not expect the body to be gone. They were not expecting to see the stone rolled away and an angel sitting up there. That must have been quite a sight. Now they loved Jesus enough that they would follow him even in death. These are the women who had followed Jesus and ministered to Jesus. And now that he's dead and laying in the, in the tomb, they come to pay homage. But even these faithful women did not really expect the resurrection. And yet that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Jesus came out of the grave alive, and that tomb that day was empty. He was not in there. And then almost immediately, the angel says to the women in verse 5, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee and there they will see me. I just, I found it so interesting in verse 8 where it says the women departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy. For me, it's been one of those things, you know, you see something a hundred times, you see a commercial on TV ten times, and the eleventh time, all of a sudden, you really see it? Like, oh, I never saw that before. Well, yeah, you did, but you just weren't paying close attention. And that was the case for me when I came across verse 8 earlier in the week. They departed from the tomb with fear and great joy? Like, how do those two things mix together? With fear, they departed with fear because if this resurrection thing really is true, then Jesus really is the sovereign king of the universe, and he really is the Lord of lords, and he really is the judge of all the earth, and one day every one of us is going to have to give an account to him. 
So they departed with fear. But also with great joy, because if this resurrection thing really did happen, then God really did come to earth, and Jesus really is the Savior. He really is who he said he is. He's the Lord of lords and King of kings, and we really do have something to sing about, and our hearts really can be full of hope. Great joy. And so Jesus says to them, in their quick departure, he interrupts them, intercedes with them, and says... Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. That's often his message. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Dozens and dozens of times. Do not be afraid. I am who I said I am. Go and tell everyone else that I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will not die. He will live forever. And here's what happened. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So these poor guys had to report to the chief priests that the tomb was empty. They lost Jesus. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. They bribed them. (laughs) They knew they were sunk. They needed to have these guards on their side, so they gave them money and said, tell the people this lie. Now, that word doesn't appear in the scripture, but that's exactly what this is. Tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him, we'll we'll protect you, and we'll keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. And they, they were so utterly desperate to cover up the facts of the resurrection. They were desperate. So they paid out money to the, to the soldiers, to the guards, and, and, and paid them to lie about what happened to Jesus. Just to tell them that the, the disciples took the body. They were desperate to cover up the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But you know what? What goes around comes around. And I think that there are an awful lot of people today who are desperate to cover up the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They try to find all kinds of scientific evidence that Jesus really didn't come out of the grave alive. Something else happened. Uh, uh, there's one theory that, that Jesus actually just you know, was unconscious on the cross. They took him down and they put him in the grave and the coolness of the grave revived him. And on the third day, he, he, he woke up. There's all kinds of theories like that. People are desperate to cover up the resurrection because if it's true, if this really is true, that Jesus Christ came from heaven and was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life without sin and he died upon the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and your sin and he was laid in a grave and on the third day he came out of the grave alive. If that's true, then that story changes everything. It does. It changes all of history. And it also places some pretty big expectations on your life and mine. It means, among other things, that the resurrection is not some 
hoax, and it's not some new agey, spiritualized, symbolic, uh, allegorical, metaphorical illusion. It, it actually happened in time and space and history. It means that Jesus was an actual person with an actual body who went into an actual tomb that was under guard by actual Roman soldiers. But when they went to check, he was actually not there. That's what that means. Jesus coming out of the grave alive was actually part of the original storyline of the gospel. It was there right from the beginning. It's part of the unfolding drama of redemption. This was not something that was added later on, you know, decades later or centuries later to make it more believable, to make it more religious, to make it more spiritual. It's actually part of the original story. It actually happened in history. This is a historical fact. So you can't write it off as a legend. It's not a fairy tale, it's not a fable, it's not make-believe, it's not your truth or my truth, it's the truth. The resurrection of Jesus really happened. Disney didn't create it. (laughs) Pixar can't animate it. Marvel would never be able to match it. Jesus came out of the grave alive. And if he did, it verifies and clarifies that all of his other claims are true also. And he can and he will come to live in you if you trust in him. He sends his spirit to live in every person who puts their faith and trust in him. That's also true. Paul put it this way in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, he said. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. By that he means that his, his own personal interests and his goals no longer direct his life. Rather, Christ who lives in him now directs and empowers all that he does. And by God's grace, through faith, Jesus is alive in me too. He's alive in the lives of every person who repents of their faith, uh, repents of their sin and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. So many of the people in this room have Jesus alive in them. And so the question, I guess, today becomes, what are you going to do with all of the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What will you do with it? What will you do with that truth? Well, let me take you back to the Bible story for a moment. In Matthew 28, 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, when they saw the resurrected Jesus, when they saw the one who came out of the grave alive, when they saw his hands and his feet, the nail piercings in his hands and his feet, they worshipped him. But some doubted. They worshipped him. But some doubted. Worship or doubt. Those are the only two options. There that day on the mountain. I submit to you they're the only two options available today. You either worship him or you keep on doubting him. There isn't an, an in between 
The, but the evidence really is insurmountable. It, it really is. It's insurmountable. Jesus is alive and he can live in you. But on that day, on that very day, on the mountain, in the presence of the, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, some worshiped and some doubted. And I doubted for a very long time that God could ever love me. Uh, I was born into a broken home. Um, my, my mother was an alcoholic. She actually drank herself to death when I was in high school. There was lots of violence in my home. My dad would beat my mom. and It, it was just an awful, awful way to live. And so I, I self-medicated through high school. Uh, nearly became, well, I was a social alcoholic. I drank every weekend and then started bringing booze to my high school and putting it in my locker and drinking at recess and lunchtime. Became very dependent on substances to dull the pain. And so I, all those years growing up, I, I really doubted that God, God could love me. I had, just had lived such a wretched life. I, I had a brother-in-law, uh, the guy who married my sister, was very generous, very good to me. Uh, my, my family home, my, my nuclear family, finally and fully broke down when I was about in the sixth grade or seventh grade. And this guy, who was brand new to our family, just married my sister a year before, takes me in, puts a roof over my head, food to eat, and when I turned 14 in Alberta, I could get my driver's uh, learner's permit, he let me drive his car to take his test. When I turned 16, I was still living with them, and he let me drive his cars, Well, Rick had just purchased a brand new Volvo 142E. Beautiful car. Real leather seats. Not any of this faux stuff. Beautiful car. And and he would let me borrow it. And so one Saturday night, I took the car and went to a party and drank so heavily that I, I couldn't remember driving the car home that night. Got home about 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, I think. It seemed like five minutes later, but my, my brother-in-law came downstairs, woke me up, shook me awake, and said, Garth, were you drinking last night? Oh, no. As if he couldn't smell it on my breath. He said, I said, why? What, what, what's the matter? He said, come outside. I want to show you something. So I went outside. We walked into the garage where I had parked his brand new 142E Volvo. And the entire passenger side, from the headlights to the taillights, was demolished. I don't know what I hit, or what hit me, or how I got home, nothing. And you know, as I sat months and years after that, thinking, if there's a God out there, He certainly doesn't love me. Because how can you love a wretch like that? who would lie to his generous, giving brother-in-law, who would drink to excess. I just doubted for a very long time that God could love me and, or that God had a plan for my life at all. But the evidence was irresistible. 
I met a gal who was from a Christian home. Her mom and dad started praying for me the, the night I picked her up on the first date. And, and, and they prayed for 13 months and began to present the evidence of Jesus' life and death and resurrection to me. And the evidence was irresistible for me. And one day I finally put my faith in Jesus. I was 21 years of age and my life was broken. Nothing was going right. Nothing was going the way I had planned. And one day a friend opened up the Bible and she said to me, Garth, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And I began to sob. He loves you and he he has a plan for your life. And I was ready to hear it. Maybe you are too. Maybe you're at that place in your life where you're ready finally to hear this. That God loves you and he has a plan for your life. He wants to draw you into his family. Well, she read several verses from the Bible. And I can't remember them all. But the one verse I do remember that she read was John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That one I remember. That one stuck in my heart. And later that day, in light of the fact that Jesus uh, lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death and he came out of the grave alive to rescue me, I put my doubt behind me and put my faith in Jesus. I asked God to forgive my sins and I received the Lord Jesus Christ by believing in his name. And you can do the same. You can do the same thing today. You don't have to wait uh, another day or another year. You can put your faith and your trust in Jesus today. And if you do that, then the Lord Jesus forgives your sin. He heals your broken heart. He binds up your broken heart. He, he, he gives your life meaning and purpose like you've never had before. I, I can testify to that because he's alive in me today. Now, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you here today may be ready to receive the gift of eternal life by trusting in the Lord Jesus. I hope so. What you need to do is turn away from your sin, turn your back on your sin, and turn to God, and in faith in Jesus Christ, put your trust in Him. Romans 3.20 says... 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, that's where we all start. Whether you're a, a poor kid from Edmonton or you're, you grew up rich and wealthy in, in Toronto or Montreal, it doesn't matter. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all on the same page. We all need the same thing. So in order to be saved, in order to be rescued, in order to, to have eternal life, in order for Jesus to come and live in you and, 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 and deal with your life of disappointment and brokenness, you need to repent and believe in Jesus. Jesus said in, in, in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See? Repent and believe in the gospel. Two sides of the same coin. If you're going to put your faith in him, you need to repent first. If you're going to repent, then you should follow through with faith. Repent and believe the gospel. So it's really your turn. 
It's, it's your turn. The kingdom of God is at hand, which means that it's entirely possible for you to have a personal relationship with God. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's right, right in front of you. So I encourage you to trust in Jesus before it's too late. Because after you die, there's, there's, there's no chance. There's no second chance. This is it. It is appointed unto man to live once, and then comes the judgment. To die once, and then comes the judgment after that. It's appointed unto man to die once, and after that comes judgment. After that doesn't come a second chance. After that comes judgment. So, so don't delay. Don't put it off. I encourage you to trust in Jesus before it's too late. And maybe you're just curious enough today to come back another day and uh, inquire again about the empty tomb. Wow, we'd be so happy for you to do that. Uh, come again and again and again. Get, get your questions answered. I mean, I'm, I remember sitting in that West End Edmonton church on and off for 13 months. And uh, until the day that I, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And then the next, very next service, sat there and bawled like a baby. My first Christmas, bawled like a baby. My first Easter, bawled like a baby. So I don't know whoever wrote that book, Real Men Don't Cry. I've never read that book, obviously. But some of you are ready to do today what I did back then. Ready to believe, to trust in Jesus. Today is the day of your salvation. You're ready. You're ready to turn from your sin. You're ready to follow Jesus. You're ready to put your faith in him. So I'd like to lead you in a a prayer, a short prayer, a a prayer uh, expressing faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that before, you'd like to do that today, then all you need to do is pray along with me. Really mean in your heart what you say, and God will do the rest. So let's pray together now, and I'd, then I'd like to challenge you with something else. So would you join me in, in a word of prayer, please? Dear Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords, and we're so glad that we get to worship you today on this Easter Sunday. Thank you so much for this resurrection day and for including us in the great plan, the, the grand design that you are, are putting together for our future. Lord Jesus, there are, there are some people here today who are ready to acknowledge you as their Lord and Savior. And I pray, I just pray that you will give them courage now to repent and believe in the gospel. So my friend, if you'd like to become a Christian today, you could express your faith in Jesus through a simple prayer like this. You could even pray these words after me as I pray aloud. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. My life is really broken and I cannot fix it on my own. I've tried and nothing seems to work. And so I want to just turn my life over to you. Some of you today are ready to say, I repent of my sins and I put my full trust and my faith in you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. And thank you for coming out of the grave alive to rescue me. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. And I trust in you today, Lord Jesus. Come and live in me. Make my heart your home. Amen.